What up, everyone? You're listening to Riding Big Red with Leah and Max. Check us out each week to hear about life at the fire station, gripping perspectives, and the untold stories of a firefighter. We hope you enjoy the ride. Episode 77, A Zombie in a House. In this episode, we're talking about the vulnerable individuals that firefighters encounter on calls, going on a call to a supposed zombie in a house, and then Max is taking us on a call where they enjoyed the stories told by a frequent flyer. Due to the graphic nature of this content, listeners' discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us this week. We're getting so close to the finale. We are. It's just three away. I know. It's <laughs> it's probably annoying hearing us keep bringing it up, but... That's all right. We'll keep bringing coming. it up. And it then is, we're going to yeah. have a break. Yeah. Then we'll have a little break and we'll see where we go from there. I need a break from you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh-huh. That's not the first time uh, she ever said that. Just kidding. I love you. <laughs> knock, knock. Today's topic kind of... It goes along with a call we're going to go on, and we talk about, you know, all the different types of calls we go on. And some of the calls we go on are to vulnerable individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, from think about homeless people. When when we get called to a homeless person, let's say they have a cut on their finger or they're out in the cold. Well, what do we do with them? Yeah, they're, they're vulnerable. But there's nothing we can really do. Because, it's not like they got a home where they can monitor their. Yeah, we can't really. Yeah. Okay, well, lay in bed and relax. Take mm-hmm. it easy for the next week or do this. And you know there are things we can do, but nine times out of ten, I take that back. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, out of a hundred with homeless people, they don't want to go anywhere. Oh, so if you recommend like a shelter or something right. like that, right? They don't want to go because. If they go, they can't do whatever they've been doing while they're homeless. Mm-hmm. They can't drink usually or do drugs or smoke or they can't do those things in the shelter. So they don't want to do that. And it's it's frustrating for us because then we go to them three or four times a day or twice a week or eight times a month or we see them continuously with the same problems, same issues, same and there's nothing we can do. Well, so, and you want to, it's like that human part of it where you want to see someone get the help they need, but there's only so much you can do. Right. Can't can, force someone to go get help. No, and we can point them in the right direction. And that's usually where it goes. So, and then we have vulnerable individuals, you know, we have drug addicts and we have drunks and people like that, that we deal with it. Then maybe they have a home. Let's say we have a home that is uh, some elderly parents with a drug addicted son. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, he lives with them, but they don't really want him there and... You know, so that's a whole different topic. You know, we have vulnerable people there. So what do we do with that person? We send them off to drug rehab. We send them to the hospital. They're right back in a day and a half. Yeah. And then we're right back doing the same thing over and over again. Lather, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the most vulnerable people that we deal with, which is mostly kids and elderly adults. And mostly the elderly adults that live alone. So think about it. You have a single parent you know, elderly parent, and we all have grandparents or parents that are elderly and living on their own, and they're independent, and they want to be independent. They mm-hmm. want to live on their own. They want to do those things. Well, then when something happens, they become vulnerable because there's nobody there to do anything for them. So then, since they live on their own, usually a family member or something will call if they haven't heard from them for a while, and they'll ask for a welfare check. And that's the police officers will actually go by and check on them. So they they can go check on them. How about vulnerable children? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we've talked about abuse and how hard that is on us. But there's more than that. I mean, there's neglect. There's 
kids that live in impossible situations where there's really nothing wrong other than they live in just not the right kind of conditions. You kind of feel like, "Mm, I don't think this is completely safe. Yeah, this is not the place they should be living. It's not clean. It's not whatever. There's 49 adults living in this one house. And again, what do you do there? I mean, it's, it's hard to deal with. Well, and I was going to ask you, are there people you guys can call as firefighters? Let's say you go on a call and just there's a situation that doesn't seem right, whether it's a vulnerable child or an elderly person. Is there someone that you can call if you feel like the situation is unsafe or is it just the police? Um, Usually we'll call the police. We can we can call our dispatchers on the radio and say, hey, we've got the situation. We're going to need the police here. But we also need adult protective services or child protective services or I, I don't even know who else, a counseling service mm-hmm. or there's all kinds of things. Usually we'll call for the police officers because they have the legal ability to take action on these things. We don't have legal standing to do that. Like we can't force people to do things. Well, and I feel like that would almost be really difficult for firefighters. Let's say you go to a call and a situation seems really unsafe and it doesn't feel right. So you call the police. Hey, we need you to you do what you need to do for your call. But then you're like, you know, this needs to be investigated further. It's not like you get to follow up like you yeah. guys do your job and then you have to head out. That's to not have resolve, at least for me personally, that would be extremely difficult. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard, especially when you're doing with the kids. You know they're in a situation that, oh my God, they shouldn't be in this situation. They shouldn't be here. They shouldn't do this, but they are. With with kids especially, and every jurisdiction around the country, every city and town and government, aid, there's you know child protective services, however they name it, but it's it's advocacy for children in in those types of situations. So we can call for them. But normally it'll come along with a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, we can help get them started because there usually takes them a long time to gather up and get out there. It takes them a while. Uh, elderly people, there's adult protective services, which is pretty much the same thing, but for vulnerable adults. Yeah. We can call them. But again, we're going to need the police officers there because they have the legal authority to, to take actions that we can't. We can just recommend which it's it's interesting because I didn't really even know what adult protective services was until I don't know maybe like five ten years ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things again. It's just like what we do for children, only for adults. But you don't think of adults as being um, at risk or vulnerable. So, right. and when I learned about it, it was in one of my last jobs that it's, you know, not everybody has family. So right. if you're somebody who's aging and getting older, or let's say you have a medical condition and you live alone and you have no family that lives around right. you, you could be considered vulnerable. And yeah. let's say you're 85 years old, no family, and you're living alone. You have a hard time cooking for yourselves. Like, adult protective services would be somebody who could check in on you or help you manage. Yeah. We talked about in one of our earlier episodes, a gentleman we would go to, he would call us because he wanted us to make him a sandwich. Yeah. I remember that. And (laughs) he literally had no food in his apartment, nothing in his refrigerator, nothing in his cabinets. So his family actually put him in an apartment and then left. That's awful. He he had his wits about him. He, He wasn't that way. He was able to take care of himself but he had no way to go get food. He couldn't drive. He couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere. He had nothing. We actually called for police. We called for adult protective services. We were there for 
gosh, it seemed like an hour, maybe longer, talking between Adult Protective and the police officers and us. And everybody was trying to punt this down the road. Mm-hmm. Like Adult Protective, well, he can take care of himself, so there's really no need for us. Yeah. It's like, no. Which I feel like that does happen a lot uh, with know, Adult Protective it's... Services and Child Protective yes, Services. The, a lot of punting. Unfortunately. But we kept telling him, look, he's... He can't keep calling 911 because he needs a sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what it's for, but that's his only avenue. Adult Protect, you need to come over and give him numbers to call for, you know, there are meals on wheels. There are places that will bring food to him. It's not 911. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to get them to understand, come out here. This is your job, not our job to do this. Is it difficult when you go on those calls where... You want to personally get yourself involved. So yes, there are the cases where you show up, you know you need to call, you need to call the police or you need to call adult protective services or child protective services or whatever resource you need to utilize. But how do you guys, because I know that firefighters sometimes get involved personally. Oh yeah. Where you go buy groceries or you go get someone a mattress or you go get this. What it, what do you feel like is the distinguishing thing? Is it the heartstrings? Is it an emotional thing? It, it's all thing? situational. I mean, you know, we talked about the the exotic dancer that we went to in mm-hmm. her apartment. You know, she was sick. She was really sick, dehydrated, malnourished, you know, and she lived in a one-room apartment and she didn't have a drop of anything in her in her house, in mm-hmm. her apartment. Nothing. So we went and bought, you know, $120 worth of groceries and filled up her refrigerator and her cabinets and while she was at the hospital. And it's it's not that she deserved it any more than anybody else or any less than anybody else. Yeah. It's just in that moment, there's no reason for someone to starve. Mm-hmm. And that's what she was doing. She was starving to death. She may have been a drug addict. She may have been an alcoholic. She may have been all these things. We don't know. That's not our decision. But in that moment, we could make sure she didn't starve to death. Mm-hmm. And so we did. You know, and people like that, especially younger people, those are the ones that you really want to get involved with. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a great story of one of our firefighters went to a, I think it was a childbirth. And so it was an engine and a paramedic. They get there and it's a drug addicted mom giving birth to a, a girl. And they, I mean, she's just in a bad situation, had just shot up. Now she's giving birth, have to take her to the hospital. The firefight, one of the firefighters on that call actually wound up adopting that baby. Oh my goodness. And that was 18, 19 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so he had six kids of his own before that. Wow. And then he adopted this baby who was addicted to drugs as a infant. And so he raised her as his own. When you hear stories like that all the time, and it's it would be unreasonable to expect firefighters to get involved on every single call right. where it, there is an emotional attachment sure. to it or, you know, it is a sad situation, but you know that there are definitely ones because you hear about them every now and then where you can't, firefighters can't help it. They yeah. just get involved. And I think that does show the level of compassion that you do have to have in the job. Even though we say sometimes it gets shoved to the side just oh, for yeah. your own protection. Mm-hmm there's still that human element where you're like, man, this one I can't let go. Well, there's there's another story that comes out of Phoenix. And Phoenix had a really great fire chief for years and years again, a guy named Alan Brunicini. And he talked about, he was given a lecture and he talked about 
One time, one of the fire trucks was driving down the road and noticed an elderly woman sitting on a bus bench. Well, she had bags of groceries with her, and it was pouring rain out. City policy is nobody rides on the fire trucks except for firefighters. Okay, it's dangerous, and they don't want to take the liability. Yeah. They stopped the fire truck. They loaded her up into the fire truck with her groceries and took her home in the rain. Oh, wow. Rather than letting her sit there on the bus bench getting soaked in the rain with mm-hmm. all her groceries. It's just compassion. It's just what you see at that moment. Yeah. Policy says you can't do that. Oh. But screw that. We're doing it. Do they get in trouble? No. Oh, okay. And this is the fire chief <laughs> telling the story. Oh, okay. And he was proud of his guys for doing that. Yeah. But city policies don't do that. Well, and but I feel like sometimes when there is involvement and stuff like that, sometimes there's backlash. They're like, oh, you didn't follow oh, yeah. the rules. How dare you? And they're like, mm, screw you. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Because it's the right thing to do. Sure. And it's like this, the same fire chief that got a complaint from somebody because the guys were playing tennis at the local park. And some guy called it because the guys were hogging up the courts. And the fire chief just asked him, did you ask to play in? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. He goes, I'm sure they would have been more than happy to have you play with them. Yeah. Next time, just ask. What a great response. Yeah. He didn't lambaste anybody. He just, that's, no. Yeah. I require my guys to be physically fit. They're doing that. Mm-hmm. They got they, their walkie-talkies. Yes. They're they're <laughs> they're working even when it doesn't look like they're working. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And, you know, just looking at the situation and what can I do that would help that situation. That's the hard thing with vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. You know, with... Homeless people, it becomes really complicated. I know right now in the country, that's a hot topic and it's everywhere. And I, I my opinion is going to be different from everybody else's. Yeah. So I'm not even going to go down and that And it's road. complex, right? It it's not complex. a one size fits all no. type situation. And, you know, in, in having this discussion about vulnerable people, you know, maybe just think about if you have vulnerable people in your life, make sure you're checking in on yes. them. You know, we sometimes forget about our grandparents and great grandparents (laughs) and we see them maybe once or twice a year or if you are able to, if they live in your area, you know, just think about it. It's something that I think we don't, they're older than us, so we don't tend to think that they need our help, but it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. So just remember that when you're changing my diaper. Mm, I'll pass that on to my brothers. Mm, Yeah. No. (laughs) So yeah. I voted and they lost. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So there are vulnerable people out there. And we have to deal with each situation just so differently and delicately and whatever it takes to get to get that job done. Mm-hmm. Now, today's call kind of goes along that way. So we talk about z- a zombie in a house, right? Like a real zombie? So this came in as a police assist. Oh, yay. What does that mean? I mean, it's kind of like rescue nature unknown. Could mean anything. Pretty much. Could anything from a ladder to a rope to a band-aid to who knows what. The police officer <laughs> needs help in uh, showing him what a firefighter does because that's got the a, career he wanted. He's got an owie. <laughs> <laughs> so this came in as a police assist and we get to this house and there are like four police cars parked outside the house, which never bodes well if there's that yeah. many. Usually there's one or two, but there's like four. We get off the truck, and as we're approaching the house, an officer says, you guys won't believe what, what's in there. <laughs> we're like, really? <laughs> Just trust us. We've Yeah, we've seen. So. Yeah, you're like, nah, I don't think there's anything <laughs> yeah, that could yeah. shock Maybe us. Maybe you haven't seen it, but we've, yeah. They got called to a welfare check. Mm-hmm. So an elderly female lived at this house alone, and they were contacted by relatives, hadn't heard from her for a while, so they went over to check on her. When we went into the house, and I'm sure when the officers went in, it was probably a huge surprise to them. So this elderly female, probably in her late 70s, had been living alone. And for the past week, 
she had deteriorated to the point where she was a zombie. Like she didn't know who she was. She didn't know where she was. She didn't, she couldn't speak. She was walking around the house naked and for a week She's not using the toilet. She's just walking around, defecating and urinating everywhere she walks and then walking in it. So she's completely covered. And she's like incoherent. Incoherent. Totally just. But when we walked in, she's still walking around. Like the officers didn't know what to do. Oh. Like if you grabbed her, she would still want to keep walking. Was she like mumbling? No, just blank. Just totally blank. So she more than likely had a stroke, which wiped out her brain function. You still have those motor functions in your brain that says, hey, keep walking, keep breathing, keep heart pumping. Mm -hmm. And that's all that was left. Wouldn't she pass away from not like drinking or eating? Eventually she would. But we have to go in there and there is, I mean, again, it's a whole week's worth, you know, loose bowels everywhere, urine soaked carpets, she hadn't eaten anything. She was emaciated and skinny and just picture a zombie. That's what she looked like. Blank stare. Skin was just, you know, hanging. It was horrible to see. So right yeah. away we called for paramedics because she needed IV. She needed fluids. She, she needed, needed medical attention. She needed more than what we could do for her. So we had to call for paramedics. Paramedics get there. and We made them actually wait outside rather than wheel the gurney inside Mm -hmm. because it would just get contaminated with everything we had to we used a sheet and we wrapped her in a sheet so that we could actually pick her up with the sheet because Mm -hmm. she was covered yeah you know so there was no way for us to really get a good grip on her we lifted her up with a sheet put her on the gurney strapped her down the paramedics were able to clean a couple spots and get some iv started on her and as far as i know she'd never made it out of the hospital so it was the last steps the last phases she had no relatives in town. Nobody. Okay. She had nobody in town. So the people who called for the welfare check were out of state. Mm-hmm. They hadn't heard from her, hadn't checked on her, had no way to know anything. That's what we talk about, vulnerable people. You know, being in that situation where you live alone and you're just, something happens and you're no longer able to take care of yourself. And it can happen at a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with this elderly lady. That's sad. And that's got to be hard to walk in on because... There, there's not much you can do other than no. get her, you know, medical yeah. transportation to the hospital where hopefully they can make her more comfortable. But yes. knowing that this is like some time has passed where yeah. she's been in this state and alone yeah. and probably sleep deprived mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be difficult to walk in on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the gravity of the entire situation, it, it takes a minute for it to really hit you what you walked in on. You know, so you you see the patient right away, then you start dealing with them, then you start looking around the environment, the house. I mean, think about your house. If if that's the only thing you could do for a week straight was walk around in your house, just I mean, it's it's just a whole sad thing to to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, and we get done, and we have to go out, and we have to disinfect our shoes and our pants we have our you know we hose off by the truck we have you know disinfectant cleaner we can use and all that and you know the officers as soon as we went inside they all left (laughs) i was gonna say is this one of those situations where you have to wear your mask because the smell is so bad or were you are you able to kind of muscle through that no we did wear masks i mean just because of the odor if nothing else yeah i felt bad for the police officers because 
they got there first. I mm-hmm. mean, what do you do with this person when you have no medical stuff? You have no, I mean, they have gloves, so they wore gloves to kind of kind of corral her, but they weren't like holding her because she just wanted to walk. Did she fight you guys nope. on anything nope. or just still was kind of blank? Just blank. And just, wasn't able to communicate like nope. her name just or like anything like that? Just like a zombie. Just, nope. Couldn't do anything. Fortunately, the officers were able to determine who she was, get her name. They contacted her, whoever had contacted them, and explained her she's going to the hospital and stuff like that. So it happens more times than I'd like to admit that Mm -hmm. we run into those types of situations. But like you said, if you have those relatives in your life, make sure you check on them. Mm -hmm. Because it can happen in the blink of an eye. Yeah, You know, just turn off a switch and all of a sudden... They're not who they used to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like recently, just in our my personal life, I've heard a lot of stories from friends and people around me where emergencies have happened where their elderly parents or grandparents have fallen or gotten hurt or, you know, and I think about it, I'm like, man, if they didn't have someone to check in on them or have someone close by, like, that could be really dangerous, yeah. you know? It can. It can turn. It's... It's worse when we get that welfare check and we get there and the person is deceased. Because they didn't have anyone to because call. Because nobody checked on them. Nobody yeah. came by. Nobody did anything. And we find them either in their bed, on a chair, in a couch, or on the floor, and they're 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 deceased. Yeah. So that makes it even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, not all vulnerable people are in that situation. <laughs> we used to go to a guy who was a frequent flyer because he was elderly he was in his 80s i think and but we didn't mind going to him if that makes any sense that's unusual yes (laughs) well it turned out he had a really great story he was a world war ii glider pilot so when the allies invaded europe when they invaded france the glider pilots took troops behind enemy lines dropped them down and they were able to to go from there Mm -hmm. well 50 percent of those glider pilots died their first trip because they crashed (laughs) So it was a very dangerous job. Well, this old guy actually made three trips. Dang. Yeah. yeah. And he had pictures and books and stories. And so we'd go to him because he was having issues with his legs and not being able to walk or, you know, so we'd have to go over, bandage up his legs and send him to the hospital, to the VA in order to get kind of cleaned up and fixed up. He'd be back. And then a week later, It'd go bad again, and so we'd go back again. Mm -hmm. But it was always kind of interesting to sit around and listen to those stories. I mean, think about this guy was in World War II Mm -hmm. and doing things that most people died from. Yeah. And that was really cool. Well, it was probably fascinating. And, you know, if he wasn't a grumpy, angry man and he was just probably just wanted to talk to somebody and tell his stories, it's like, hey, at least you got a good story. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was awesome. I mean, he was clear of mind. He could tell us and describe to us these things that he did. And it's like, wow, that's really awesome. I mean, and we used to run into not so much anymore. I don't think anybody does now because that generation is disappearing. Mm -hmm. But we used to run into World War II vets all the time. And it was so amazing to just listen to the stories. I mean, take the time to listen to some of these stories. These elderly people, they have some stories you need to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really cool. And that was, this guy was really cool. And he wrote his own book about his own story. Mm-hmm. And I actually, he gave us a copy of it. And I actually have it. Oh, so, do you still have it? Oh, yeah. It's one of my prized possessions. Oh. It's really cool. A well, really interesting thinks. story. <laughs> So, yes, it's really cool. I'm not your prized possession. Uh, Yeah, of all my daughters. Nobody owns me. Of all my daughters, you're one of them. (laughs) All right. So the lesson here is, if you are going to be a frequent flyer, 
at least have some cool stories to tell. Please. Thanks for joining us this week on Writing Big Red. Be sure to subscribe and follow, and don't forget to tell your friends. Send us your questions or topics that you want to hear about to our Facebook and Instagram page. Want more? Ride with us next week where we go to a hazmat leak at a hospital. Thank <laughs> you.